mm-hmm. the Williams floor compared to the Red Bull floor. It literally, Chandler showed us a picture. It was a smooth brain versus an actual brain. It, it's it's flat. And that's all. It is literally flat. Like it's just... Welcome back, everyone, to Figuring Out the Formula. I'm Kyle. I'm here with Chan and Patrick, as always. We just got done with round eight of the Formula One season. It is the Spanish Grand Prix. Last weekend was the Monaco Grand Prix. It was a very boring race, but the weekend leading up to it was pretty fun. We talked last week about the upgrades that teams were bringing to the Spanish Grand Prix. Some of them were good. Some of them were bad. Chan, what were some losers that brought upgrades to the track? So to me, the main number one loser was Williams, um, just because this was kind of their first. You know, some teams will do some minor upgrades here. This was their first kind of rollout um, with everything. Uh, they To give you in-depth to tell what Williams basically did, and this is the engineering scientist in me enjoying this, but um, – Basically, they have like the flaps on the front of their car on the front wings that um, they added to make it longer to so give a little more aero. But then they also had an alternative bodywork with a cooling package. So obviously the cars get very hot um, with the engine and the gearbox. So they added some cooling to keep it cool and um, you know make it more efficient whenever you're keeping it cool. But we saw during this race weekend, during the practice times, everything just absolutely nothing. And we'll get more into it. We had a little bit of a revelation when it came to Williams as to uh, how a, bad they, how bad they really were. Look, if someone brought it up too, is that, you know, James Vowles made a comment during early like preseason of just how like he, him going from Mercedes to Williams is like amazed that there are some teams on the grid that still do things the way they do things. And, and we learned that like Williams was like, he, he was exactly talking about how behind Williams is in the game. So they were the number one losers. Um, the other ones who, I don't know if I, I classify some of them as losers, but really like what I'd say is from a lot of them, it's a real, who can say like, we can't really tell one way or the other. Um, I think Alpha Tari is more on the loser side of things. Uh, just to give you a brief, what they did is the rear wing flap. They made a couple of little modification to um to kind of make it a little more slender make you know a little more aerodynamics um and then they also uh had a new modified rear rear wing in plate again for that efficiency and that aero um but they were a little bit better but you know it just I, it's hard to tell with them because they didn't have like just that outstanding week like for example alpine and monaco you know where's alpine been all year and then all of a sudden you've got esteban gets on a podium, podium. Yeah, it gets a podium at Monaco, and they actually followed it up this week. So, like, to me, that's, a like, a winner. And they're not really included in this week since, like I said, they rolled out at Monaco. Um, and so I'd still say Alphatar is more on the loser side of things. But you really get into the the three that I would consider, like, in the middle. I still don't really know much of, like, how it is. Is Aston Martin, first off, you know, th- this was going to be their, their first package. They have, I think – um, three big package. They're kind of rolling out one big upgrade in the stretch of like three. Just I know this happened yeah. after the race, but like Fernando made the comment that so they had one in Spain. Um, they're rolling out another part of their upgrade next race in Canada, and then two weeks after that in Silverstone in Britain. So it's really kind of we'll see how it looks come Silverstone whenever their full upgrade package is there. But they did a lot of front wing in plate upgrades. Um, to get the airflow around the front tires better, just to kind of help them punch through that air a little bit. We'll see how that turns out. 
We didn't, I'll say this, we didn't see a drop off. So the good thing is, is that there, this part of the upgrade didn't make them go slower. So um, I think a lot of people caught up around them. Um, and then McLaren, uh, we'll get into qualifying. McLaren's slight, it's not a huge upgrade, but they did do a front front brake duck and, and winglet, like reprofiling to kind of make that a little more aerodynamic. Look, in qualifying, we'll get to it. We saw great results um, from Lando. And, you know, even, you know, speaking, you know, one, after we discuss the race, we'll see that he was able to fight back with the upgrade to be a little bit more competitive. But um, just because of what happened in the race, it's kind of hard to make a decision on that. And then Ferrari. So Ferrari, we always <laughs> say Ferrari is going to Ferrari, but we get in and one of the drivers just has an awesome, like I won't say out of nowhere, but like unexpected uh, race weekend for the, for the most part. And there's a couple of slip ups, but and then another racer goes, you know, out in Q1, like never contends for anything. And then they even have issues on the car um, after qualifying where they can't figure out what's wrong with the car. So they they actually brought in the thing that kind of like we really got to see something next race weekend is because Ferrari had planned this for later in the year. But because of how bad they were performing to start season, they went ahead, sped it up, brought it in now. So um, they redesigned their floor uh which the floor of the f1 car has been a big talk since monaco and we saw uh checo's car get lifted and again it can that continued this week um so they redesigned their floor obviously they had that in the works long before monaco um but then also they did the uh their side pods um they did away with the one thing that was making me love the ferrari car and that's the bird bath side pods with these upgrades it's not like someone plans it and it's on the car the next week it takes mm -hmm. months sometimes years depending on how drastic the change is to make sure the arrow is proper make sure the balance the weight make sure everything's good to go and they're within the standards of the fia so for some of these teams they hit the they hit the nail on the head some of them they didn't chandler i i agree you, you discuss a lot of the losers i think my biggest loser has to be haas they didn't do anything they, That's haven't, true. they yeah. haven't presented any upgrades or anything yet. They haven't even had notions of it. Like all these teams have said, yeah, like Aston Martin said, they'll have a huge upgrade available at Silverstone. Haas hasn't said, you know, come Coda, we'll have it, you know, it's the end of the year or whatever. It doesn't matter. They, they've they never said we're going to have upgrades available then. But, and you looked last year with them is that they only had, all these teams had like two and three upgrades throughout the year. Haas had one upgrade that was supposed to be in Austria, and they were only able to roll it out on one of the cars in Austria, Kevin Magnussen's. And then they were on, and that made you could see a visible drop off in Kevin Magnussen's car. But they continue to make the set, continue to fabricate and get the upgrade ready for Mick Schumacher's car, even though they're seeing such a drop off. And Haas really fell off the wagon whenever they gave their upgrade. It was really a downgrade. So I would, I would debate that you can't fall off the wagon if you never were on the wagon. Fair yeah. point. Haas's best upgrade in previous years was getting rid of their, uh, you Crawley sponsorship. That was yeah. the best upgrade they've had. And it's not even performance based. And yeah. you're, probably, you're, you're a Crawley driver too. Yeah. yeah. That too. That's a great point, Kyle. I forgot about Haas. Honestly, I kind of forgot they existed. Um, who? <laughs> who? Yeah. Yeah. Who? <laughs> Um, so Ferrari actually was my biggest disappointment um, because throughout the season, constantly on the Ferrari radios, you keep hearing about their tire degradation. 
Like they're constantly saying, oh, my tires are falling off so quick. And then that's seemingly where they're losing most of their pace. Um, I don't think they had a crazy problem with the aero design, but they're definitely trying to pull an old switcheroo and, you know, just do what everyone else is doing. Um, but most of their upgrades were actually designed to uh, like reduce the tire degradation and they pretty much just didn't solve that problem at all. So it's kind of like they spent all their money on nothing, literally. Um, but yeah, I definitely think there were a lot of losers and it's honestly usually pretty hit or miss. To piggyback off what Pat's saying, basically the way you set up your arrow is how much downforce your car gets. That also determines how much grip your tires have and how long they last. So you can see the Red Bulls, you know, they've made soft tires last three times what the, what Pirelli tells us that they should last. So clearly Red Bulls got it figured out. Right. Ferrari, on the other hand, they're doing the exact opposite. Their tire life is way shorter than what Pirelli get, tells us. So their setup is correct, is incorrect. So. Yeah. And, you know, like I was saying, it's usually hit or miss. It's either probably going to be pretty bad or probably going to be pretty good. Now we talked about the misses. Now there were a couple people that were, you know, they were hidden. Now Red Bull, they're obviously destroying the pack, uh, you know, winning races by 20 plus seconds. They actually do still bring upgrades. They still try to make sure they're keeping a safe distance. So they actually had revised um, some of their floor edges and um, some of their diffusers, which for those of you that don't know, the diffusers at the back of the car, it's a component below the wing that basically... It sucks the car down to the ground. So it keeps the air trapped to make sure the car is as tight to the ground as it can get. That's basically the easy way to put it. It's basically the final point for all the air going over the car. Um, So they had modified their diffusers as well. um, But those were pretty minor upgrades for them. They honestly don't really need many upgrades. But the biggest winner this week, I think, was actually Mercedes. Um, So we had talked in preseason testing about how last year Mercedes tried to come out with this zero side pod design where it looked like they were driving a pencil (laughs) and everybody thought they were going to have a rocket ship and it flopped to be the infamous George Russell clip of he's like, I looked at that and was like, fuck, this looks fat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The drive to survive, you know, that got all of us involved and it's looking back drive to survive is always behind. Obviously it's a culmination of the previous season. So since the three of us and you listeners follow formula one, it's pretty funny to, keep track of everything that's going on and then to see drive to survive when it comes out george russell saying the mercedes looks so fast was <laughs> i mean it was just uh comical as all cat <laughs> like it was crazy but so so they've they've pretty much ditched that concept um well, it took, the, it took Lewis Hamilton bitching the entire season last year and this year oh, to finally yeah. say okay yeah okay maybe let's try something else yeah um, so they, they, their main modification was their side pods. Um, they're not quite as dramatic as say Red Bull or like Aston Martin. Um, but they definitely are very similar now. They're kind of like Williams looking. Um, but obviously cause they have money, there's probably some intricacies that are way better. That was the big thing. Um, they did also, um, just make a lot of adjustments to the positioning of parts on their car. So the wishbone fairings, which those are 
just kind of split brackets um, that connect the wheels to uh, the front of the car. Um, they had actually raised those up to improve those, their airflow. Are those suspension parts, or what are the? Those are just braces. So the, those are those are part of the suspension. Um, I can't really draw with my hands, but um, <laughs> you'll if you look at the front of an F1 car, you'll see at the very front there's two. Um, kind of braces that stick off in different directions and attach the wheel. Those are the wishbone fairings. Gotcha. Um, so they, they raised those up and then um, they had changed their rear wing camber, which is just the angle of the rear wing so they could get some more downforce. Um, and then they added some small winglets to their uh, rear brake ducts. And then because of the side pod upgrades, they also removed like a small vein that was attached to their mirrors. Um, and honestly, I think their upgrades, you know, really shined this week. Um, I don't know if, you know, we were talking about how Aston Martin, we couldn't really tell, you know, I saw Mercedes, we'll, we'll talk about the race later, but, um, you know, they looked way more competitive than Aston Martin for once. And I don't know if that's just the Aston upgrades failing or the Mercedes upgrades being that much better. Um, so but let me pose this question to you guys. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think that they went less aggressive because they were afraid of copying Red Bull and Aston Martin? Or do you think that that's just what their engineers settled on? Because I did say that it takes a while to get these going. Where, I think, where are you I guys think that at? They just kind of settled. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they didn't want to do anything too crazy in case it didn't work and they needed to switch back quickly. Um, so I don't think that they're, you know, I don't think any F1 team is really worried about copying anyone else, you know, unless it's something kind of blatant, like the pink Mercedes a few years ago. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely because with upgrades, it's such a big risk, you know, it really was just kind of a gamble and it really did pay off. So I think they're definitely going to go way heavier with it, with their next upgrades, but I don't think that they were trying to risk too much right now. They just didn't want to fall too far behind. Yeah. Yeah. You look at it from a long-term year long goal of, Hey, you're in a tight battle with Aston Martin right now. That tight battle with Aston right now is mainly Fernando. So you're kind of thinking like, okay, if these upgrades at least get Lance into the top 10 consistently, we need to just keep up with that because there's big money between second and third yeah. um, in any position, but um, second and third. And so it's kind of like, obviously, you're not going to – any engineer that thinks that – like or in the F1 world that thinks they're going to jump from where Mercedes has been to catch Red Bull, even with like Red Bull – like not, not let alone Red Bull like – now you can't not even where there are before any upgrades. So you're not looking at that. You're kind of looking at let's get me to keep me in the race until obviously, Hey, if this, this slight marginal upgrade works, we'll take another step on top of that. Um, or as long as Mercedes gets above Aston Martin and stays there, that's correct. a win. That's a win for the season for them. Especially you look at the fact that really between Aston and Mercedes, they're both starting to pull away from the rest of the field. Then if you realize, okay, we're falling a little bit back behind Aston, but we are so far clear of everybody else, we're not worried about that. That's when you make that extreme jump. But right now, like Pat said, you don't want to go from the extreme of no side pods to like hula hoop side pods. And then yeah. you're in the same exact position that you were with upgrade and spend all that money. So spend all that money to go from slow to slow. It's doesn't work out, but 
No, I get it. Yeah, so that was the winners and losers for the past upgrades that everyone brought to either Monaco or to the Spanish Grand Prix. We talked a little bit about the Williams floor, and last episode we talked about the Red Bull floor when Checo got raised up by the crane 4,000 feet in the air to where everyone got to take pictures of it. Well, this race weekend in FP3, Logan Sargent crashed, and same thing. The crane operators like hold my beer to the Monaco guy and raised uh, raised Logan Sargent's car up. To see the difference between Adrian Newey's Red Bull floor and insert name here, Red Bull floor at Brackley University. And yeah, he was from University of Phoenix Online. Because ITT Tech. Yeah, it might as well be mm-hmm. the Williams floor compared to the Red Bull floor. It literally Chandler showed us a picture. It was a smooth brain versus an actual brain. It, it's it's flat, and that's all. It is literally flat. Like it's just there's nothing. no. It, it's a floor. It's like it's, it's a like, floor. It's like taking the pants off like a Barbie doll. There's just nothing there. It's just flat. Like it's terrible. You do that you a can, lot. You do that a lot. You can you can call Williams a lot of things, but you can definitely call them broke because there was fucking nothing under that car. Uh, and that's it, you know, James Vowles, who went from Mercedes, Valtteri it's James, to like to Williams, he made a comment earlier in the season talking about how it's amazing how like his world and knowledge of F1 being with Mercedes being coming from the team that won seven straight construct championships going to this. He's like, I've just shocked that people still that, that some teams still do things the way they do. I think it was something to do with like, I don't think it was the floor specifically, but there was a part of the car that wasn't designed in like, like, CFD analysis software. It was literally done in like AutoCAD. And he was just like blown away. He's like, that's how you're designing your cars. Like you don't have this and this. And they're like, no, we can't afford all that. So the, the basic difference between the top tier teams, Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, now McLaren, now that they have a bunch of sponsors and stuff like that between those teams and the, well, they do have a lot of money coming in. Yeah, I ain't going to the performance, though. Not yet. There's a wind tunnel being built. Anyways, the top-tier teams compared to the midfield and the back markers is huge. I mean, Gene Haas can only put so many $20 bills into that car. Williams, it's the same thing. Williams, their car was flat. Their floor was flat. It literally looked like a kindergartner tried to draw a Formula One car. Red Bull had all these intricacies, you know, lines going up and down the car, crazy. And you can see the difference in performance, obviously. My thing is, I already talked about how it takes a while for these upgrades to come. With Vols being at Williams now, I think next year they're going to compete for the upper midfield. It's... He's not going to allow that shit, especially after their PR nightmare they had when the pictures of Logan Sargent's floor came out. I mean, they're getting flamed left and right, just like we are. So I think that was a big turning point for that team. Yeah, and it takes a couple times. It's not obviously James got here this year. It's not going to happen in a year. But, you know, and I I really do hope that he turns it around because he's very good. Um, 
But yeah, it just it it's honestly like you know we talk about it and we think like how the you know the lower the bottom back markers are always like that, but to see it like comp like comparison like especially like back to back weeks too like if say that this happened a month or two down the road we probably would have been like wow but then because it happened so close together it's just like mind blowing of the difference and it's like and I'll give kudos to Alex Albon how is Alex Albon even like He's making me and Patrick think about. It. He was at the beginning of the yeah. year. We didn't have to think about. It. We were hammering Alex Albon on the points. Now <laughs> we at least have to think about it and say, well, maybe not. But still, to even like have the mindset of having some people who are knowledgeable about sport thinking he could get top ten in that car is kudos to him. A a comparison is in football. There's been videos that surface that LSU have air conditioned helmets for their players now Mm -hmm. that's the red bull floor the williams floor is rudy's helmet from the movie rudy where it has like one bar going across you know Mm -hmm. that's That's the comparison so as soon as they get old rudy who was off sides let me point that out as soon as they get him an air conditioned helmet williams should be able to compete better whether that happens or not, I guess we'll see. That was the practice session. Nothing else happened during FP1, FP2, FP3. There wasn't a whole lot of other drama. You guys have anything that you want to point out other than maybe some relationships or something like that? Championships and titles is chips. So, you know, the chips don't lie. Lewis Hamilton, seven-time world champion, um, was seen out. Do what? Not eight, eight times. Uh, not eight. Not eight. And depending how the Felipe Massa's lawsuit goes, maybe not even seven. But anyhow, this is now a rumor that, you know, the Fernando and Taylor Swift have kind of fizzled out, especially since, you know, Taylor Swift's been now officially broken up with Matt Healy. Um, but the new relationship drama in F1 is – Lewis Hamilton has been spotted with Shakira and this happened at Monaco and moved all throughout the week. We've seen it again. And then even today, which I know is past the race week, but more pictures today of them at a dinner um, with uh, Shakira all up on him. So uh, that is, we'll, we'll monitor that. Um, You know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that and see, see, you know, how we're feeling about that next week. But the only other, I don't know, drama per se in this, I'm 90% sure this happened after the Monaco race might've been, I don't think we talked about it last week, even if it did happen before, but um, Haas has struck a deal with Alfa Romeo. So starting in 2024, cause you know, obviously this is Alfa Romeo's last year as the title sponsor for the Sauber team. So um, Audi is taking over. Is it Audi that's taking over that one? Yes. Yeah, Audi's yes. taking over that one in 2025. Um, if I'm not mistaken. So there is one year where it'll just be the Salva racing team, but Alfa Romeo is not completely getting out of the game. Alfa signed a title deal with Haas. So we'll be interesting to see a, how much money comes in B how this team is rebranded. Um, you know, obviously we're so used to seeing the Haas on the back. Are we going to see the same Alfa Romeo rear wing in plate um, on the back? Or is it going to be, you know, Haas kind of the old, was it rich energy drink or like, yeah, rich yeah. energy drink where, like, where the, the black and gold cars were like that logo was all over, slapped all over the car um, or something like that. Who knows? We'll see. Um, 
probably, you know, truthfully, all this does is just give Gene another place to hide some money from the IRS. But uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see, you know, how much of also how much like influence Alfa Romeo has with this to see if we see any. If we don't see any improvement, then you know we're probably thinking there's not much influence. But if we see some improvement, it's definitely Alfa, and it's not Haas. So um, more details on that will probably come out later on in the year, just because we do still have a season of Alfa Romeo controlling the Sauber team. So, but yep. Couple of things to be monitoring. So exciting, you know, kind of keep a watch on. So yeah, whether you're into Shakira or not, I guess that's something that is going to be shoved down your throat. Chandler will definitely be keeping up with that. Me and Pat, I'll on the other hand, I don't know. Do. We're not really as emotionally as invested as we were with Taylor Swift and Fernando, but uh, to each is their own. I'm I'm not saying that I'm like emotionally invested as much. It, I mean, it, but just. You're yeah, lying. You yeah, you are. You're lying. You definitely are. But just take hey, the cap off. Yeah. Chandler discussed the importance of sponsors and title sponsors and all that stuff like that. Has to do with money. Money's everything in F1. You get a lot, the better you do. You get less, the shittier you do. Simple as that. The thing that most people don't realize is how much money that teams spend on travel throughout the season and the logistics behind it. Um, let's move right into Pat's paddock. And Pat, why don't you explain some of this uh, business aspect of it? Sure. So welcome back, everyone, to uh, <clears throat> Pat's paddock. Um, so today, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the actual logistics of Formula One. So Formula One, as we all know, it's a calendar that travels all across the globe for pretty much the entire year, sometimes you know, back-to-back weeks, sometimes three back-to-back weeks, sometimes there's a four-week break. Now, F1 has a lot of moving parts. There's a ton of people that work for, you know, every F1 team. They've got all kinds of equipment from, you know, whatever they have to use for like radios and the pit wall to whatever tools they have to use to set up the car, to all the car parts themselves, to all the backups for the car parts themselves, even to everyone's favorite Red Bull catering. Um, So F1 actually partners with uh, DHL, um, despite their personal um unsatisfactory service they are great for f1 um just not they, for t-shirts or illegal yeah, yeah. aliexpress things other than that <laughs> other than that they're they're great um but they actually have a team of about 40-ish people um that are present at every race weekend that you know are just dictating the logistics and where everything's supposed to go for an f1 team and then they also actually have a fleet of about seven excuse me, seven um, jumbo jets that they use. Um, and so, you know, if it's a, a week like this where they're going from Spain all the way over to Canada, you know, everybody packs all their stuff up collectively onto these, you know, handful of jets. Um, and then they're flown across the Atlantic or the Pacific, wherever, based on wherever they're going. Um, and then they get unpacked. Now that's obviously for like the most important stuff, probably for like the chassis and the car parts, stuff like that. Now for um, say things like the motorhomes or like catering or, you know, office stuff, stuff like that. Um, they also have a dedicated network of um, like ocean vessels that carry, I want to say 35 um, shipping containers. And so, you know, if they have, you know, X amount of weeks before race week, they can just send that stuff because it'll take much longer. 
Um, and it's a whole, whole big mess, you know, especially when you have situations like in 2020 where, you know, races were getting canceled left and right. And then they were switching destinations a few weeks before it was an absolute nightmare for DHL, but you know, they pay the big bucks to get the sponsors and they have some people that are just out of their mind, good with coordinating planes and trucks and things like that. Um, the teams themselves, um, because most of them are based in Europe, they actually also do have their own trucks. They're these super fancy looking 18 wheelers. Um, you know, people will see them whenever they're going to like Belgium or Italy or something, driving around and taking all the stuff and everything pretty much gets there on like a Monday or Tuesday. Um, and then that's when the team set everything up. Now, if you ever go to an F1 race and you ever want to see a bunch of people from the F1 teams, the best time to leave is on Tuesday. Um, most yep. of most of Sunday night and Monday, the teams are packing everything up. And then as the three of us saw in Austin last year, uh, we left on Tuesday the and goat. we're walking through the airport and all of a sudden I see a guy with Red Bull backpack. It's like, oh yeah, it's team issue. Well, then start seeing Williams, Alpine, Aston Martin, literally everybody. They were, they were just, all there. Literally yeah, every they, team's they were all, mechanics were, were there. all on the same flight to Mexico City on Tuesday. Um, so it's a ton of moving parts for You're forgetting people. that but, some of the but, but, too. Yeah, Hold on. Yeah, just don't yeah, before, over that. yeah, before you get into the rest of your spiel, we we the three of us were sitting there getting a beer and some fries, whatever, before our flight took off. And we were looking at every single team that was walking by, like, oh damn, is there anybody? Oh, looking oh, for the dude, F1 I forgot TV about this. Thing. I forgot about this. Yeah. I was like, Keep is going. there anyone we know? Like, what the fuck? And out of nowhere comes the absolute goat of F1, Nicholas Latifi from he drove for Williams before he got replaced because <laughs> he sucks at <laughs> now. But he was the only driver to fly with the team on basically what is a Cessna fucking shitty plane. It was a private it, plane, it like, but it, it was a charter it was like, jet that yeah. was like, a, it was a Mexican airline that was, that flew to Austin to take him to Mexico city. And you look at the plane and like all the, in Austin airport, you have all these like Delta jets, Boeing jets, all the stuff, you know, the jet bridge builds right up to it. Not this plane. This was the prop engine plane mm. that, like you could fit like a hundred people on the plane, but it's still the prop engine plane with yeah jet bridge, no says I. You're going down the stairs and walking across yeah. the tarmac. <laughs> yeah, but it's like you see all these people who belong in F1, who work in F1. They have their backpacks, their jackets, all this stuff, and then you see Goatifi with a hood on. You're like, yeah. you motherfucker, I know who yeah, you are. Okay, the, the fact that you're in the airport as the only driver, like. That's pretty pathetic. That's pretty fucked up, Williams. But, uh, but yeah, my was, question to that was like, I would have had like less of a question if like Alex Albon was also getting on that plane. Was with him, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where was Alex? It was like he, he was on a jet with someone with another driver. Alex, yeah, and his friends. Like, yeah. Is wasn't it like didn't like the Red Bull AlphaTauri team like bring him on since he like drove for them? Like, like Max yeah. was just like, come on, you can ride with us. Like, sorry, Crazy. Nicholas. Yeah. yeah. Sidebar, one last sidebar on Latifi because I know there won't be an opportunity for this anymore because of the, because he's departed from our sport. Um, but the fact of the matter is is that Nicholas Latifi only got to drive his home Grand Prix one time, and therefore, and, you know, we were there for it. But they had the Nicholas Latifi grandstands that we had the pleasure, honor, privilege of sitting in 
uh, me and Patrick and Patrick's brother, Chris, they have already removed the name. Mm-hmm. So it is now just Grandstand 42 this year. <laughs> so uh, the Lance Stroll Grandstand is still in full effect and is sold out. Um, but the Nicholas Latifi, it had been named the Nicholas Latifi Grandstand for three years. But because it got canceled because of COVID, he never got to race in it except for one year. And now they have already said, you're out of F1. Sorry, right. you're gone. Like <laughs> Moving on, you know, it's a ton of logistics to move all that stuff from week to week. Um, there are also a lot of complaints about why the schedule is the way it is. For instance, why we were in Spain this past week, we're about to go to Canada and then we're about to come back to Europe. Uh, a lot of that has to do with really weird, like, um, environmental stuff from based on where you are. So for instance, Canada, it's frozen until like late April, but the rest of the calendar is already congested and then it's going to freeze over again by like September. Now, if you go to like Japan and Singapore, you know, they can't do it in the summer because of their like typhoon season, but they can't do it in the beginning of the season because they have contract stipulations because they potentially want the world champion crown there. Like we saw in Suzuka last year, things like that. Um, I'll talk about it more later this year, Um, but there's a whole other shebang about, you know, why the calendar is the way it is, but the logistics of F1 are pretty crazy. You know, DHL handles it really well to get everything there every week. So Sebastian Vettel, our friend of business, has been – he was at Monaco last week. Um, we didn't see this until Monday, Tuesday, but he was at Monaco, kind of very off the scenes. You know, they didn't sh- – the, the coverage on Sky Sports and ESPN did not see show him, so they obviously didn't see him. Um, apparently, he had been in some meetings with several different teams – um, as well as Stefano Domenicali, uh, Formula One um, president, whatever you want to call it, um, director. Uh, and he is report, it's reported that F1 has actually offered Sebastian Vettel the, like, I don't know the official title, but it's basically the director of sustainability. So, you know, okay. Sebastian Vettel in his time, as you know, he always uses platform for not necessarily always, like, not just environmental issues, but like, you know, social issues, worldwide issues, like specific to the locations. Like the most pertinent one that pops to my head is when he came to Miami for the very first race in Miami, he wore a thing where it was a driver helmet with a snorkeling mask and water up here saying 2050, you know, Miami first Grand, Miami Grand Prix, first Grand Prix underwater. So haven't heard much traction on that since uh, since last Monday, but um, definitely something to keep an eye out. I think that Sebastian would be a good fit in it. Um, especially Except he should have he should have wore that shirt to Emola this year. That's the running joke. Yes, uh, unfortunately, that is. Hold sad, your breath. Had <laughs> to say that. Sad to say that Emola was was closer to a sale Grand Prix than uh, a motor race racing Grand Prix. But um, but yeah, so. It's always good to have legends. Anyways, that was Pat's Paddock. We move into qualifying. Uh, not a whole lot went on during qualifying. During Q1 was the craziest part. Uh, basically, it started to drizzle right before qualifying started. The track was damp, but it wasn't wet. The lines were dry, but if you went off the line by maybe a meter or a yard, if you're in America... You're done. That's what happened. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. It was, you were spinning out. I mean, I I remember looking up at the TV and seeing every replay, every camera angle was a different car spinning out. (laughs) It was like, it was like 
they couldn't show the replays fast enough because another <laughs> car was spinning out. It's like, and what the fuck is going on? Turn one and it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like, it's like literally side by side, they'd show the replay <laughs> and then a brand new replay yeah, of like someone else in a replay in a replay. It was replayception. That's what it was. It was, it was a big shit show at the start of Q1. I mean, I don't, I think maybe three, four, maybe five cars actually completed a lap with a, like a flying lap with a time at that point. And then they red flagged it. They were red flag Q1 because not, not because of the rain, but because of the gravel from everyone spinning <laughs> off the fucking track is the thing is they don't have sweeper trucks. Like NASCAR has sweeper trucks. Any car has sweeper trucks to get the marbles out of the way. They had marshals out there with a fucking broom saying, all right, giddy up. So the red flag took a bit, but there was nothing else that went on during Q1. Um, out in Q1, we had Logan Sargent. We had Leclerc, Albon, Magnuson, and Bottas. What the fuck happened to Charles Leclerc in Q1? Well, um, he really was just embracing the Ferrari identity. Um, I think he said that he couldn't, like the car just wasn't feeling right, which, you know, like I said before, I think was just their upgrades missed really badly, but I'm not one to complain about Le Torpedo. Um, it's just Ferrari being Ferrari, you know, it's, it's any week they'll show up and do their thing. Trust me, Fred, Fred Vasseur is going to get it figured out, but he's got to stop like making it just as bad or he's got to stop having it be just as bad as before for him to get out of this hole. And I mentioned earlier about the real, like, you know, like Patrick said that Ferrari was a real loser with their upgrade. You know, I said, it's a who can say, because obviously Leclerc, they had, it was really like a mirror image of Leclerc all the way down to 19th. We'll get to where signs finished, but like, and even at the point is they had to work with Leclerc, um, who ended up getting a pit lane start because they were trying to figure out what's wrong with the car. So they didn't even know their own car after the upgrades. And of course, the way that park Ferme rules have, you, you can't touch the car after you can't change and modify the car after um, qualifying begins. And I'm sure that might be a future Pat's paddock episode. So I won't go too far into what park Ferme, the details of it. Um, but there's a certain curfew for everybody. If like, you can't be working on your car, into the wee hours of the night and the the garage is locked. No one can touch the cars. No one can be in there looking at the cars, looking at data or anything like that. It's yeah. a lockout basically into the next morning when the garage opens. Then you have from that time to race start, qualifying start, whatever it might be to make the changes you wish to make. Yeah. And, if, and, you can't, and you can... if you can't do it at that, in that time frame. Then you could break curfew, but you have to start from the pit lane. Or in some cases, there's been disqualifications from the race. Yep, depending on the situation. But like, so he's in 19th. He's already, he's only, okay, whoop de doo. If he starts from the pit lane, you just start one last, one spot worse. And so yeah. um, they eventually had to break it. But that, that goes to the fact of they can't even figure out their own car after just having an upgrade. It's just, mind-boggling me and if not for carlos Sainz's performance then they would 100 be the biggest losers for me so we'll get into more of that here shortly 
moving from Q1 to Q2, um, nothing happened. I mean, it was it was boring as hell. It out in Q2 was Yuki in 15th. Then you had DeVries, Joe Granu, you had George Russell, and then Checo Perez. Checo had a little bit of a snap, but it wasn't. I mean, he didn't really have the pace that Max did. Nah, he, I mean, he came out on a fresh set of tires for his like final ish flying lap with a couple minutes left. And he gets to the top of the hill at like, I think it's like turn four, and then he starts coming back down at turn like five or six. Um, and I don't know if the track was still wet or he was doing his best Monaco impression. Uh, what it could have been, he spins out into the gravel, luckily doesn't hit like a wall or anything. Uh, after that, you know, he was able to carry on, which was good. But after that, because he was in the gravel, his tires were done and he was slow as balls. It's it's a shame because we talked about like the last, it feels like the last two or three episodes, he had an opportunity to win the driver's championship. We said, I, I think I said last, last episode, you have to make it a clean race. The clean race is not just on Sunday. It starts on Saturday to get you in the opportunity to have a clean race on Sunday. He is not doing that. His hopes no, and dreams of being a world champion are going out the window. I mean, it's he's making it incredibly difficult, especially in a contract year where if he keeps doing this, it should be there's no excuse for it not to be Red Bull one two every week. Right. Right exactly. now, anyways. Yeah, and I think I think Helmut Marco said he eventually said after the race that because the gap is so big that the pressure is off Checo. But I just I don't know. I really wish I could just like ask the guy, like, why do you get so ahead of yourself? Because it's, it's like it's like everybody knows that Max is going to blow everybody away. It's like don't pressure yourself. You know, it's like if you win, okay, cool, bro. Like that's but it's not even though. that. Like he ha- he can't Max is a better driver. Yes. Right. I'm not saying Checo is better. Max is a better driver, but it's one lap in qualifying, which for most of these tracks can get you a race win. Mm-hmm. Eliminate strategy, eliminate luck, all that shit. If you start from the pole, you're most likely to win. That's the benefit of being on pole. They have the same car. Yes, it might be tailored towards Max a little more than Checo, but simple mistakes like spinning out and shit like that is not going to get you yeah. in the first place. He's, he's trying to set a pull up and he's not even at a Q2. That's all it really is. It's like, bro, yeah. just, just get it clean and then bring it home and you know take your shot when it's time, but it's just the same mistakes over and over again. Uh, I mean, that's you hinted at it. My biggest thing is the pressure is because yeah, at the beginning of the year, there were the conspiracy theories and stuff that like it was the end of it was the end of last year whenever there was Max was asking or Checo was asking to pass Max mm-hmm. and they didn't he didn't give it up to him. Yeah, that, that was the start of the drama that you're talking about. And then after after uh, Checo won, I don't even I, mean, I don't know if it was Jetta. I think it was Jetta when he won and like had originally had some tweet and was like I would I want to be world champion and then like deleted the tweet and then reposted the same tweet without the I want to be world champion so, so like you had that stuff of like the conspiracy theorists and all that stuff now let's be honest the pressure's off 
to me, that would make it a heck of a lot easier to go get second place every time. You may not win, you know, because Max is clearly blowing the competition. Even if Checo has his puts together his best race and he starts in second behind Max, Max is winning that race nine out, 99 out of 100 times. But there should be no reason that if Max is winning by 30 seconds, that Checo's in second and clear of third by 15 seconds. I, yeah. I agree. My My biggest thing is Checo has pressure. It's mm-hmm. not the pressure of winning anymore. It's not the pressure of being a champion. It's the pressure of, I said, it's a contract year. Well, Red Bull fans would much rather see Danny Rick than they would rather see Checo. I love them both, but Danny Rick brings in more money. He brings in more viewers. It brings in a lot more than Checo does. And if you give him that car, I'm not saying he's going to do the same thing that Checo will, but he might do better. And he brings in more money. So if Checo doesn't give Red Bull a second place finish the majority of the time starting now, I don't know if we'll see him in the car next year. I really don't. Yeah. Something to think about. That was Q2. Yuki was out. DeVries, Joe, Russell, and then Checo finished to cap out Q2. To finish out Q3, starting from pole was Max. And then in second was Carlos Sainz. In third, now we're talking. Lando (laughs) Norris, baby. I've been keeping this shirt dusted off this entire season. Finally, no doubt in my mind, McLaren's the best team on the grid. I mean, this motherfucker, he just went out there. He was so shocked, too. (laughs) Whenever his race engineer said, that's P3. Lando, that's P3. He said, what? Really? Still? (laughs) Still, motherfucker, you got that bitch. Third place. Did you hear Max's press conference after qualifying, kind of taking a big super dig at McLaren, which personally, as a McLaren supporter, I need that kick in the rear end. I don't know, did y'all hear it? He He said, so basically he was talking about how um, he was like, yeah, I was just really surprised to see Lando up there in three. And he goes, and then like, they was like, but it's, it's good to see like, you know, some parody. I was like, I was really surprised to see Lando up there in three. And then he's like, stop and went to go put the microphone to give the microphone for another question. And then pulled it back up and goes, let me rephrase that. I am surprised to see McLaren in P3. Um, he's like, Lando is a world-class driver and can win championships in the right car. He's like, I'm not surprised to see Lando up in P3. I'm just shocked to see McLaren in P3. They but can't even celebrate better. P3 right. Bro, the celebration that McLaren posted of Zach Brown walking around the garage with the race engineers after Lando Norris got P3 was the cringiest thing you've ever fucking seen. Not one sound in the garage was being made. You the man's thought, mouth yeah. is glued shut. Like yeah. just walking around high five and everybody just like hard high fives too. Like, I mean, like embracing, like not like grabbing the hand like that, like just not and saying a word. Couldn't be me. What'd you say? I said couldn't be me. <laughs> I, I, I was celebrating too. I but, was like jumping up and down in the break room at work. But I mean, come on. Act like you deserve to be there, right? That's it, it, Zach Brown looked like a make a wish kid. It's like, dude, come on, <laughs> come on. I mean, I mean, we 
we all we all <laughs> knew that he Lando was capable of a P3. McLaren's social media was freaking out. Rightfully so, but it didn't really last too long. We moved from Q3 where Max got the pole, Carlos was second, Lando was third. Into the race weekend, there were two main things I want to talk about. The first being that Pierre Gasly gets a sixth place grid penalty for impeding Max and Carlos in their Q3 run. That was pretty shitty because it was two separate instances where he blocked them. And that it was high speed turns, not like on a low turn or anything like that. Carlos almost hit Pierre Gasly. The second being that Charles Leclerc and Logan Sargent started from the pits during the race. Yeah, I mean, it was terrible watching him just slowly take the racing line when it's like, hey, bro, there's, you know, there's people coming in hot behind you, brother. Um, and it was actually pretty funny listening to Fernando's on board because Fernando was coming behind Max um, and immediately gets on to his race engineer in lawyer mode. And it's like, that's a penalty for Gasly. He's impeding Max on a flying lap. He shouldn't do that. And did did do we know if Pierre Gasly like did his penalty points ever get erased? I don't think so. Because they yeah. last two years, right? Yeah. Or, so I'm like, I mean, Gasly's already year and a half. on. Yeah, he's already in like thin ice. Um, so it's like, what kind of? But like, did his race engineer just not tell him there are people coming? I I don't quite know. Um, oh, here you go. I, I just looked it up. A quick Google search. Pierre. Gasly had two penalty points drop on May 22nd. Ah. So he was at 10, dropped down the two, so he was at eight. So I don't know how many points this so is. It's, it's uh, I'm looking at the same thing. So dropping two of the 10 points brings him to eight. 12 points in a 12-month period triggers an automatic suspension. Okay. So he has four remaining penalty points. Okay. But that's within a 12-month period. Okay. So luckily for him, there's a two-week break before the next race. So if he races clean in Canada, then he should erase some more points unless he fucks up in Canada. But yeah, that's the big thing to look out for is because an automatic suspension. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. That, I don't think we have to worry. So he's at eight. But he does have three coming off soon. Okay. Okay. He he's he's He'll be fine. He can he can stick his head back up his ass a little bit. I guess had this happened in Imola, he would have literally. I think the day of the race was when the two would have dropped off to bring him down from ten, or it was the day after the race. So there would have been like if he'd have done this at Imola and gotten two points for that, he would have had for like one day he would have been at twelve. Uh, which okay. is a penalty until the next race hits. Yep. yep. So you, as long as the FIA gives him that penalty that day, then he's suspended for the next race. But if yep. the FIA does not give him the penalty till the day after, then it they can protest it and he'd be fine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I pretty, mean, pretty he has his ass normally. I, I don't think Pierre really does that type of stuff. Um, well, enough to get a shit ton of penalty points. Yeah. Well, that's normally during like the race. <laughs> um and then yeah like we had Leclerc and Sargent starting from the pits Leclerc I think they were kind of just like all right well let's switch out a bunch of stuff like the morning of the race and just bite the extra place penalty um of which that didn't even really help them anyways but 
Ferrari's going to Ferrari, like we said, and Williams is Williams. Yep. Moving into the race, the big thing was Lando Norris starting third place. Like I said, McLaren's social media was freaking out. You would have thought the Beatles were in town at their prime, not like the dead Beatles, but in their prime, the Beatles were in town. Unfortunately, it didn't last too long. <laughs> On lap one, turn one, Carlos Sainz was following Max Verstappen. Kind of, he tried to pass him, he had a break. Unfortunately, that checked up third place, which was Lando Norris, who did not have a quick enough reaction. And he ended up hitting his front wing, was damaged, and he had to go into the pits going from third place down to, you guessed it, 20th. I mean, when it rains, it fucking pours. He had an opportunity because there was forecast for rain for this race. Lando Norris is extremely great in the rain, probably one of the best in the rain. He had an opportunity for a would-be podium. That contact, that late reaction cost him his entire race. I think he finished, what, 17th or something like that? Something way down there. I think it was 17th and Oscar finished 13th, I, but there was one of them finished 13th, one of them finished 17th. Yeah, so Lando finished 17th out of the points for both McLarens. It was just... It was heartbreaking. Bro, it, it, it was just heartbreaking because Lando is a great driver. It was just an honest mistake. Dude, when I saw that, I was like, you got to be shitting me. After that happened, he hit Lewis and nothing else happened. Like, Lewis didn't have a puncture or anything like that. Nothing happened until lap 16. So lap 16, Carlos Sainz is trying to undercut. We've discussed in the past, undercut means you pit before the car, you're racing against pits. That way you come out, you run faster laps, and you get ahead of them by the time they pit. Well, lap 25, Lewis comes to the pits. That's who Carlos Sainz was racing. Carlos Sainz, who did the undercut, actually worked out. Carlos Sainz comes out in front of Lewis Hamilton by the time Lewis Hamilton comes out of the pit lane. From there, Lewis passed Carlos Sainz maybe within 10 laps of coming out of the pits. I want to say it was under five, but don't quote me on that. It was, it was quick. Yeah. yeah. It, the strategy was correct for Ferrari. Unfortunately, the pace was not there. The rest of this race was a snooze fest. I mean, it was prime time around 10 o'clock in the morning, Eastern time to take a nap. I hope you didn't drink coffee when the race started because it was a snooze fest. From lap 25 when Lewis came out of the pits up until lap 52, nothing happened. On lap 52, that's when we had a little bit of drama. Not too much, but a little bit. On lap 52, Esteban Ocon was in front of Fernando Alonso. Fernando had DRS, drag reduction system, and he tried to pass... Esteban Ocon on the main straight. On the main straight, Esteban goes right to block, and then he goes right even further, a double move, which is against the code, basically. It's not against the rules, but it's against the code of drivers. And 
they almost crash. Pat, do you think that that was a clean move or do you think that I'm correct saying like, yeah, he kind of broke the unwritten rules? To me, the defending was kind of, how do I put this? Nikita Mazepin-esque? Shitty? Um, Yeah. Like, I mean, there's plenty of videos of Mazepin almost driving people into the wall. Um, I think Fernando like crossed the pit lane, like that pit lane exit line. Um, He was in the green paint. Yeah, it was it was pretty bad. Uh, it honestly, I th- I thought Fernando was going to fly off and go into a wall, which thankfully he didn't because this race was already kind of going to shit just from the lack of pace. And we we've seen instances like that. Um, I think the other most recent big one was Lewis versus Checo in Turkey a couple of years ago, where it's honestly almost the exact same scenario except Checo still got passed. But uh, you know. I don't really quite know what the etiquette is on, you know, how far you can push someone other than something like that, where it's just off the track, basically. You know, I don't know if it's like, oh, you still need to leave a car width at the, ed- ed- excuse me, car width at the ed- edge of the track. I think what? it's supposed to be, yeah. But mm-hmm. it, it definitely was pretty dangerous to do. Um, I thought at least one of them was about to bend it into a wall. Or get a penalty or something. Yeah. Neither- Esteban Ocon didn't get a penalty. It wasn't even noted by the FIA. So I guess they deemed it reasonable. But like I said, just because the rules say you can do it doesn't mean there's not a gentleman's yeah. unwritten rule. Yep. That's that's the big thing. And I think we've seen it with the Indy 500 last week. There was a little bit of a debate on social media just because obviously the tracks are different. Indianapolis Speedway is pretty wide and the pit entry is just, you veer off to the left side of the barrier and go straight on down the track. But there's a lot of blocking moving to the side. And of course, F1 fans are like, yeah, that's a dangerous like type yeah. drive. Like, and then IndyCar diehard fans are like, no, that's real racing. So there's really kind of an, in a weird way, IndyCar and F1 do fall under the FIA's kind of international code of racing. Um, so there's not really a written rule as we talked about, but it's definitely up for debate on, you know, is this type of just writing someone out? Like obviously, and there's in F1 and even in IndyCar and Austin, these 20 drivers in F1 understand the high risks of it. At some point, they're not going to say like they're not going to squeeze the guy out to like where there's an inch, um, because at the end of the day, that, that by the grace of God, there goes I getting pushed into a wall and getting just shoved in and bend. So there, it, it's just a very big debate, and so I don't think that's something that's going to be solved in one night, one talk, one. You know, I, I really I, wish that we did have the not ramble. I wish we still had the drivers meetings that were still aired or recorded that we could like sit and watch the drivers have discussions about this. So my thing is, it was for seventh place. So yes, it's for points, but it's not like it's for the race win. Esteban Ocon just got a podium. So I think that's why he was so intent on blocking him to keep seventh instead of dropping to eighth, which he did. Because S or because Fernando Alonso actually cr- finished that pass, but it it was just something else. That, that was the last major drama that happened during this race. Like I said, this race was a snooze fest. Not much happened besides those things that we talked about. To finish the race off, we had Max Verstappen win by thirty seconds and pitting within ten laps of the finish. 
So if he didn't pit, it could have been over a minute. He lapped everyone up to Piastri. His fastest lap time was one minute, 16 seconds. Like, so that's, yeah. that's 76 seconds. Um, he was within three seconds of lapping everybody up to everybody up to the points. So the big, the big aspect of Max Verstappen was, was he being a good sport or not? So like we've discussed in the past, a quickest lap in the top 10 gets you another point. That point can be the difference between first and second, second, third, whatever it is. It's a very minimal distance between these positions for the drivers or the constructors championship. Well, Max Verstappen received the black and white flag three times. That was the track limits flag. It means he was going over the white line, all four tires going off the track, basically. Well, Red Bull engineers were basically saying, cool your jets, bro. Take it easy. You're going to win this race. Don't push it and crash. If you crash, <laughs> you there's no excuse, you know? Well, Max said, what, Pat? Uh, to put it lightly, he told him to fuck off. Basically. And- <laughs> You know, the thing about Max is that everyone knows he can be a hothead, but he just really doesn't care like what advice or whatever people are trying to give him. Like he is very confident in himself. Um, and he was like, Nope, I'm gonna get this lap. And then they kept pleading with him, and then eventually he was like, All right, fine, like chill, like just shut up, like I'll bring it home or whatever. But it's just like, come on, bro. Like, you're like a minute out ahead in front of everybody. Like, you're going to get the fastest lap. Like, it's whatever. But, you know, Max just wants to keep himself to that, you know, X amount higher standard. He's, and- he's not He's not battling against anyone. So the only person right. he has to battle against is himself. Himself. He wants the grand himself, slam of the week. Himself. He's a race engineer. Yeah. Besides poor helmet. I mean, and he's got... He's got the mindset of a champion. So right now he's a two-time world champion or 1.5, depending on who's asking. It's going to be three this year. I don't, there's no way around it. It's going to be three. I wanted to say that him and Checo would compete. Shit ain't happening. Unless there's a major change, it's not happening. That was the Spanish Grand Prix. Like I said, the podium was Max Verstappen. And then you had Lewis Hamilton. You had George Russell following him in third place. Mercedes two and three was a pretty big shock. Chan, you discussed earlier about, you know, the upgrades. There were losers, winners, saying that Mercedes was a winner. Clearly it showed this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I'll say that this took, you know, we were Aston and Mercedes going into this weekend was one point apart. And this 2-3 finish, even Aston Martin didn't have a bad showing, per se, of 6th and 7th. Um, but just that 2-3 finish pole vaulted them ahead by a decent number. Uh, and it's going to make it where we will probably have something to watch for, um, you know, coming down the stretch to see this. Uh, just because you know, last year we had the situation of Ferrari versus Mercedes in second, you know. You had you had Mercedes that was like Ferrari was fast, couldn't finish half the races. 
Mercedes was not as fast, but they were reliable. They were going to get you the second and third. And we didn't see that much of like the start of the year. It wasn't consistently a Mercedes on the podium. Um, but now I think we're starting to see it and I'm looking forward to it. Now on the flip side of that is that Fernando has come out and said like, and I quote, he like says, you know, we'll, we got more upgrades to roll out in Canada and then it's another set of upgrades to roll out at Silverstone. Um, he says, but, and, and like what he ended, he just goes, I'll just say this in Canada, we'll crush him. So I oh, can't yeah. wait to see what that involves. Um, but I think we're in for some excitement. Like some somebody joking on social media said the only way to watch F1 races was to put uh, like a piece of paper blocking out, blacking out the first place because you already know that's going to be max. And then you're just watching the rest <laughs> of the races like on that. So that's, that's, how some, that's how someone watched the Spanish Grand Prix is they put a little piece of paper over the first place <laughs> sidebar of the, the running total. So. Well, Chandler talks a little bit about the upcoming race. That is the Canadian Grand Prix. That's going to be June 16th through the 18th. Qualifying is going to take place on Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. And the race is going to take place on Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Practice on Friday was sunny and 70. And then qualifying was raining and 40 degrees and then the race was sunny and 85 degrees so looking forward to my favorite track on the calendar last weekend we discussed our predictions for the spanish grand prix chandler said fernando alonso was going to get the win <laughs> fucking loser terrible guess i guessed that lewis hamilton will get the win everyone was hating Everyone was hating. I was one spot off. I should have known. That's a big one spot. That's a big it's just one, one spot. It's just one. Either way, Patrick came home with the win. He predicted Max Verstappen to get the W. Max Verstappen destroyed everybody. But I beat Chandler, so that's fine with me. Second place is the number one loser. Still number one. We move into the Canadian Grand Prix. Third place is still on the podium. Out of three. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Like, Third place is still on the podium. That's like the hottest ugly girl. But either way, let me hear your, your guys' uh, predictions for the Canadian Grand Prix. Pat, you won. You get the honors. Who do you um, think wins the Canadian Grand Prix? So Max is going to destroy it again, uh, especially with a like really low downforce track like Canada. Chan, who's your winner? I am going contrary again. I'm not just simply picking Max. I will not pick Max again just for entertainment value. Max finally learns why they call it the Wall of Champions. Um, and I am going to say that Lewis Hamilton wins in Canada. You motherfucker. That's who I was going <laughs> to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I could either pick George Russell or I could pick Max Verstappen. I think I go with. Uh, I don't know who I want to pick. You can just pick Lewis too, bro. It's okay. Yeah. I think I'm going to go with Max for 